Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining us from the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, where he's just watched the Boston Celtics take on the Philadelphia 76ers in the preseason opener for those teams is Tim Bontemps. Hello, guys. We talked the other day about uh, Drew Carter getting uh, a gig here in uh, in Boston, doing the road games for NBC Boston for Mike Orman. And uh, I saw Drew before the game. Drew went to college with our buddy Jackson, our producer, mm-hmm. wanted me to make sure that I pass along that uh, Jackson still owes him $20 Ooh. from a bet their junior year of college when South Florida obliterated Syracuse. So oh, he wanted me to make sure the world knew about that. Oh, so, so he was gambling the world against knows. his own alma mater. Hey, while they were in school, that sounds like he is not well suited for the long tradition of being a rampant Boston homer. That well, he also he also called Jackson the biggest Syracuse homer he knows, which I know a few of them. So I told him I'm not sure that uh, he's quite the highest on that list. People well, I mean, this guy can hold a can hold a grudge, and he keeps a ledger. My God. <laughs> Uh, the Tommy points. Is he going to take over the Tommy points ledger? My God. Maybe. Joining us from Dallas, Texas. Cowboys are playing right now, and he ain't watching it. It's Van McMahon. I am watching it. It's just on my phone. So as my eyes dart down, you know what I'm looking at. Uh, <laughs> howdy, partners. <laughs> Sounds like something else that happened junior year in school if we had. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Which junior year, I would have to ask. <laughs> right. No kidding. Your I junior just... year lasted several years, I believe. I had a senior era, just a couple of junior years. Feel a little underdressed. You guys look spiffy in your sport coats there. I just got on some, you know, a little dry fit shirt. So I might have to run in the closet and, you know, up my game here a little bit. Uh, I think you're appropriately dressed for our podcast. All right, good. Um, well, Brian is dressed down from his, his tie on TV ooh, tonight. Yes, looking slick. NBA countdown. I mean, the legend continues to grow, baby. You know you've made it when you get NBA countdown on Sunday during the NFL season. That's when you uh, are in the A-team. Um, did enjoy it, though, with uh, Perk and Malika and Woj. We're all here in L.A. today. To, ahead of the Celtics-Sixers uh, game, that the Celtics actually treated like a real practice game. They played their starters um, in the beginning of both halves. Mm. Uh, and Bontemps, what I think is interesting, and I know that Joe Missoula has – you know, said, don't pay any attention to nothing of this matters. And he even said before the game that he almost did a joke starting lineup just to throw people off. But we all know actions over words. His actions showed that he is prepping how he's going to play this season with the Celtics. They play three games in four days. He's not going to have his full complement of players for most of those games. So the way you started this game was relevant. And the way you started this game was what, Bontemps? Well, I'm 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 not sure that the Celtics are going to sit guys uh, in all these games because Joe Mazzulla is a different kind of guy. Uh, but we'll see about that. But um, I mean, the interesting thing from today, as you alluded to, is that Drew Holiday came off the bench, and I think there's certainly a real possibility that when the season starts, Drew Holiday is going to be coming off the bench uh, when we are in the Garden on October 25th against the Knicks. And Look, obviously, Drew got traded here a week ago. He started to practice on Wednesday. You could certainly say, well, these are reasons why uh, Drew Holiday came off the bench today and didn't start. However, I do think if you extrapolate this out a little bit, there is a decent argument for why the Celtics would be doing this. For starters, they spent all summer telling Derek White he was going to be their point guard. He's going to be the point guard of the team. They traded Marcus Smart 
they it was very it was made very clear we're putting the ball in Derek White's hands we're going to have him do this do this job and be our guy it would be for as malleable as Derek White has been and happy to sit and fill whatever role he's needed to since he got here I think it would be a bit of a difficult thing to say to him all right we just traded for Drew Holiday now you're going to come off the bench on the other hand you got Al Horford who is one of the most respected guys on the team very long time vet I think sort of falls in the Chris Paul camp to a bit of a degree when it comes to starting. And I'm not sure uh, necessarily uh, how that would go if he was told to come off the bench, as you said, Brian, at media day, um, you know, when he got asked about it, he sort of very quickly pivoted and didn't really answer the question. Um, And I think if you look at how the Celtics are going to play and what they're going to do, to me, the two guys that you really want to mi- minute, limit their minutes the most on this roster among their main guys are Drew Holiday and Al Horford, two guys who are in their mid to late 30s. And if you have Drew Holiday coming off the bench playing 28 to 30 minutes a night instead of starting and playing 34, that's an extra five, six minutes over the course of the year that certainly could add up. So we'll see where this goes. But I certainly thought it was interesting that this happened today this way. And I think from being around here today and sort of seeing how it went, you know, I think it's certainly possible. This is the way it goes. The other thing I'll say is before the game, because I wasn't with Joe Missoula on Saturday when he talked about the fact that, you know, don't breed into what we're doing. I might start a joke lineup. I said, hey, you just got Drew Holiday a week ago. You completely changed your plans. You Obviously, last year it was very different circumstances, but your plans for the season all changed a couple days before training camp when you became the head coach. Does that experience help you at all here? And he sort of just said, well, you know, we're not really changing much. So there's not really a lot to worry about from that standpoint. And if you think about that quote after seeing the starting lineup and seeing how the game played out where the Celtics ran their regular rotation for the first three quarters, if you just put Drew Holiday in the Malcolm Brogdon role, then you don't have to change much. And at least today in this game, that was the role he played in. So Certainly not what I expected when I got here this morning or this afternoon, but after seeing how today played out, I definitely think this is a much realer possibility than I certainly would have thought when they made the trade or up until pregame today. I don't like it. It's interesting. I don't like it. You you said Drew Holiday's one of the two main guys who they really got to manage their minutes. I would say he's a distant third on that list behind the two big guys, Al Horford, for obvious reasons. And like Porzingis' durability has been an issue essentially his entire career. Um, those are the two guys who you really got to watch. And Drew Holiday doesn't have to play point guard. He can play the two guard. Derek White can still be the point guard with both of them in the starting lineup. The simple fact is he, Drew Holiday is probably your second best player. Like I want your second best player in the starting lineup and 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 playing like you know <laughs> well there's 30, another guy making 300 million and another guy who's a multiple time all nba guy so that's an aggressive statement who well, well it also might be true data. and the and the argument is drew holiday versus jalen brown which whatever call it 2a 2b um drew holiday is a significantly more impactful player at this point than al horford is there's no question about that and, like, listen, all due respect to Al Horford, he's had a phenomenal career. He's obviously helped the Celtics win a lot of games. Like, if this is about protecting Al Horford's ego, then that's ridiculous. 
Well, I think it's a couple things if they do do this. I think, as Brian said last week when he was at Media Day, like these guys have spent all summer preparing to have these guys play a good amount together, Horford and Porzingis. And as we know, at the start of games, teams tend to be bigger across the board anyway. So like tonight in the first half, all those guys played, I think, 15 minutes or more. Like they're all going to play a lot. And I think my guess is quite often the end of the game is going to be the four perimeter guys, and then either Porzingis mm. or Horford. So really, it's just about the start of the game. And I, I, like I said, this is not what I expected when I got here today. But after seeing how this played out and being around and talking to people, I do think this is a possibility. And I can understand why they would go this way to a degree, even though I th- certainly when the chips are down during the season, I think they should have their four best players on the court, which are Tatum, Brown, White, and Holiday. And, you know, that should be their closing lineup basically every game. So, well, you, you know. They they made a – they obviously studied it and made a tactical decision that they wanted to play with two big men. They saw how the playoffs went. They saw – they compared it to way the fi- when they got to the finals two years ago, and they made a big organizational decision that they want to play with two big men – with Al Horford and another big man, and that is why they made the trade for Chris Porzingis. They traded out a prized guard in, in Marcus Smart for a prized big man, and they prepared in the offseason. Joe Mazzulla studied and designed his, what he was going to do this year that way. They, they, you know, One thing I've learned as I've talked to teams over the last few weeks, most teams now are basically in full practice mode several weeks ahead of the start of training. Camp. Oh, the Labor Day. They all come back from, it's like start of school. Yeah, but, they all get but, back from Labor Day and they start be, doing stuff. Yes, it used to be kind of workouts. Now it seems like they're, they're basically just short of practices yep. um, as I talk to all these teams. And you, the Celtics. Sure? Kyrie was in China doing stuff with Anta uh, during a lot of September. So that's well, interesting. Not every single player. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, that's what the Celtics were preparing to do. That doesn't mean that a team can't change its mind, but like they made this decision to go this way for a reason. And so I think they're kind of just trying to stick with it. Um, and another thing that Joe Mazzulla said over the weekend was that he envisions his backup center to be Luke Cornett, which means that Luke Cornett's going to be in the rotation, which means that the three big men they're going to play are, are not going to be Robert Williams, Porzingis and Horford. They're probably going to be Horford, Porzingis, and Luke Cornett, and we'll see if they get another big man at some point during the course of the season, or maybe Cornett can handle it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that was clear today. I mean, their their rotation, I think, is pretty much set. They're going to, I mean, Peyton Pritchard has signed an extension today, is going to play a lot of minutes off the bench, um, either with Drew Holiday or behind him and White if they start, uh, you know, if they do start that lineup together. Sam Hauser, who's a wing who can really shoot it. The Celtics have liked him a lot. They signed him to a multi-year deal last year. He was on a two-way with them a couple years ago. He's going to be right in the middle of the rotation. Another guy who could shoot it a lot. Cornette's going to play a lot. And then whichever one of these six guys isn't starting, like that's their nine guys. And then maybe mm-hmm. O'Shea Brissett or Delano Banton or somebody is their 10th guy sometimes. But those nine guys, that's who they're going to play. There's really no question about that. And those well, top six guys are going to play a lot. A couple things. First off, you just mentioned it, but in case you missed it, because it was Sunday on the NFL Sunday, uh, Woj reported that um, Peyton Pritchard signed a four-year, $30 million contract extension. The Celtics, he you know he basically was out of the rotation last year. 
And he's talked about how it was a frustrating year for him. He was nearly traded in the offseason, didn't get traded. Asked, asked to be traded last year at one point because he wasn't playing. Because he was afraid he wasn't going to get a contract. Yeah. Right. So the Celtics give him a contract. It's not, it's, uh, you know, roughly going to be what the taxpayer mid level is going to be um, seven and a half million a year. And uh, by the way, he, he played awesome. In this game, he had 26 points. It's six out of 11 threes. I, I suspect he was uh, feeling pretty good about himself on a day that he hit all of his basketball work of his whole entire life paid off when he agreed to a $30 million deal. But, um, uh, so you mentioned that, but, uh, Delano Banton, who did get some time today, the Celtics people think that he can get, he'll earn some minutes that and he's a the guy they signed away from Toronto. I don't know. I don't know if a team is competing for a championship. Wants to have that guy in their in their wing wing rotation, but you know that's he's he's, he's had an impressive well. summer, according to people with the team for sure. Right. So anyway, that was sort of what you saw from the Celtics today. One thing I'm going to say: Jason Tatum had a bad shooting game. I'm not going to overreact to that, but the thing that I thought was interesting was Tatum. We didn't really talk about this. Tatum on media day talked about his elbow. I'm sorry, his wrist. And he did we talk about this in the pod? I can't remember. I don't think we talked. We've talked about it privately. I don't think we talked about it on the bot. Okay. So there's a lot going on at Boston Media Day. So I, Jason Tatum had a poor three-point shooting season last year. He never shot more. He shot 35%. His first half of the year, he really struggled. He was a little bit better in the second half of the year. But he took 10, 9 or 10 a game, and he struggled with his outside shot at times last year. He injured his left wrist, non-shooting wrist, a uh, year and a half ago now in the playoffs against the Bucks in the 2022 playoffs. So he said over the summer he got three or four opinions. So I don't know if that's three or four, or I don't know what he's generalizing there. And to use his words, not all of them suggested surgery. Hmm. So he said he did what he needed to do, and he hopes that's going to be enough. Now, when you talk to the Celtics, they say, look, he is. we've got him fully checked out. We're, we, we've got him good treatment. And it's his non-shooting wrist. We think he's going to be good. I just know he didn't have a great shooting year by his standards last year. And, you know, he didn't have a great shooting night tonight. It doesn't mean anything, but I'll just point out that that he'd mentioned that thing about the wrist. And, you know, the, there was a definite chance he was going to have a uh, have surgery in the offseason and didn't. And so keep in mind, he did have 10 rebounds and five assists. He wasn't like he didn't have a plus game. But um, yeah, it it'll, that'll be something. Over. Yeah, it'll be something to watch for sure. I mean, him and Jalen both didn't shoot the ball great from three last year. Tatum's now shot 35% from three across the last two years on nine attempts a game. If you're shooting nine attempts a game, he's a good enough shooter. He should be in the high 30s, around 40%, has been in the past. So that'll be interesting to watch. But the one thing I will say, just to wrap up on today, it was quickly apparent how much space and how much different they're going to look like when they have Chris Porzingis on the court. Like right away, he was able to get some rolls to the rim, for some lobs, made a really nice finish on a dunk. Derek White kind of flung one way up in the air. He went and got it and threw it down. It, it's his first possession of the game was a catch and shoot three on the wing off a pass from Jason Tatum was wide open, knocked it down. Like they're when they're rolling with that group, whether it's the smalls out there with one of the bigs or even Horford and Porzingis, both good shooters. They got five guys who could shoot the three out there at the same time. The floor is completely wide open. Drew Holiday talked after the game about the extra space that he already sees on the court with all these guys out there who can shoot the ball. Like they, I think they've got a chance to be a devastating offensive team. If they're all out there together, I think, you know, we'll see what happens in terms of interior defense and how Porzingis holds up and that kind of stuff. But 
offensively, even though it looked a little clunky today, I there I think there's a lot to be excited about if you're the Celtics with the way that group looked. Yeah, Porzingis had 17 points today, hit two threes. It is a little easier to go inside on the uh, on the 76ers when Joel Embiid is on the bench. I will say that. <laughs> That's also true. That's um, also true. No James Harden either, since we're on James Harden watch. He had a very long workout before the game. Again, looked good. Did not play, and we'll see if he plays Wednesday against the Celtics in Philly. So as we've talked so much about Harden exhaustively for the last few months, it's been easy to just sort of make Tyrese Maxey an also-ran. He is obviously not an also-ran. They are expecting huge things for, from him this year. They need huge things from him this year. When he's played well, they are a completely different team. He's been up and down a little bit in the playoffs at times. He was flat-out awesome in this in this first preseason game. Flat-out awesome. 24 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and a block. Just incredible speed. When he's when he's featured in the offense, which you know, happened today because their other two leading scorers were not playing, it's interesting to watch. And, you know, by the way, uh, Tobias Harris had a decent game as well. Those two guys got to actually play a little bit, uh, stretch their legs a little bit in this game. But as much as we focus on, on Harden, Bontemps, like, this is Maxia's position to have a big-time season. Sure is. By the way, you know, he could get extended. He's up for a contract extension. Uh, I think it's safe to say the Sixers are not going to extend him right now and wait till next summer as they have this plan to use cap space next summer. But to me, if you told me James Harden was not playing for the Sixers this year, I would say Tyrese Maxey is going to be an all-star because I, I think he has the ability to have 26, 27 points a night and have five or six assists and – he, by all accounts, talking to people around the Sixers over the past week, his playmaking is better. That is the one thing he spent the summer working on. It's the one thing along with his defense. Those are the two things you can point to in his game and say they need to improve for him to really take another step as a player. But look, like if you told me he averaged 26 and six this year, if James Harden wasn't there or something like that, or 27 and seven, like I definitely think he could do that. And you saw in this game playing against Drew Holiday and Derek White, two of the best on ball guards in the league. He had, I think, 13 points in the first quarter and was getting wherever he wanted. He was pulling up from 25 feet for three. Like he, he is a big time talent. And, you know, it, it will be interesting to see, depending on what happens with Harden, how much stretching of his legs he gets to make. I thought it was interesting. I don't think, I don't think we talked about it on the pod, but Joel and B got asked on Thursday about Maxi and his play and said, Look, I told this guy at the start of the summer, if he improves his playmaking, not only can he be an all-star, I'll make sure he's an all-star, which I thought was an interesting thing to say in light of everything that's going on with the guy who is supposed to be the Sixers point guard. So it is going to be something to watch on a lot of levels from his contract to his role on the team to his fit with Harden and everything else. But again, like you said, you watch you watch the first half and you watch how Tyrese Maxey played in this game and it's easy to see why he is he is a guy that is is very intriguing in terms of what his ceiling is and the way he's improved every year. If you told me he was going to push his ceiling up another level, I would not be surprised. But I think the Sixers have to figure out over this next season, like, hey, can Tyrese Maxey be your lead guard going forward? And you, know, you hear a lot of teams say lead guard and not point guard because kind of the traditional point guard, is, it's not like it's an extinct position, but – you know, you you look at the all-star point guards around the league, and they're guys who are scoring 26, 28, 30 points per game. You know, a lot of them are more scorers than they are facilitators. And I think Philadelphia needs to know going into next summer, basically, hey, are we comfortable with this guy having the ball in his hands the most often? That's essentially what 
what you're saying when you say elite guard. And mm -hmm. if so, it makes it a lot easier uh, in, in terms of figuring out what else your your priorities are. Yeah. So, um, and also just the way he plays, it's just like a refreshing way to play. He plays with super high energy. And he's so fast. Yeah. It's just, you know, like it's hard to like to watch him play and not like the style, even if it, sometimes he makes mistakes, like he makes mistakes sort of moving in an aggressive manner. So, um, and you certainly saw that in this game. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, the, another interesting game that happened on Sunday. We didn't see a whole lot of the starters in Phoenix, Detroit. Phoenix with an interesting game in Detroit. Get Monty Williams at his first game as a coach. Coaches against, with uh, Detroit coaches against his former team. The Suns go up to Detroit. And in this game, and again, look, we're talking about first game right out of the gate for, uh, for you know, in October. We're not, I don't want to overreact, but I have to say, like, if you're looking for a good positive early return on what the Phoenix Suns can be, I offer you this game. They scored 46 points in the first quarter of this game in Detroit, and they started 17 of 21 from the floor. Pretty good. Listen, I'm looking. I'm I'm looking for a place to hang the banner and the footprints. Are you kidding me? That's the most impressive first quarter of a uh, preseason opener in NBA history. It's like the most competitive sweep uh, defeat. <laughs> you know, it's right about as much it. as the most as being the most competitive sweep. Yeah. That's Listen, for sure. We're obviously not going to jump to like any grand conclusions based off a spectacular, you know, 15 minute stretch uh, of a preseason game against the Detroit No D Pistons. But, dude, I mean, this like they've got three of the best scorers in the NBA, and their first time actually playing against another team. I mean, it can't get a whole lot better than that. Um, Here, and you know, you talk about a team that's going without a point guard or without a traditional point guard. Like, you know, the ball seemed to be finding guys in in, in rhythm today. I really, yeah. it gets back to this: if those three guys are healthy. The Suns might be the best offensive team in, in NBA history. So here's what I noticed watching this game. As good as Chris Paul is, as many games as Chris Paul delivered for the Suns for the last few seasons, he plays slow. Yeah. He plays slow. And not only is are you switching out of Chris Paul and you're switching into a team that is more, you know, play a little faster. You've got them yeah. playing fast as a priority. Now, Every team just about, especially with new coaches, wants to play fast. Like mm. I've been covering the NBA as my 21st year for 21 years coming into seasons. I've been listening to and reading quotes about we're going to play fast. So I'm not going to sit here and overreact to that. But when you watch the Suns play today, they play at a speed at which I'm not familiar watching them play. Well, that, but that's and, not true because they played at that speed against the Nuggets in the playoffs after Chris Paul got hurt. And I remember sitting there listening to, to Michael Malone talk about, like, we've got it. Our transition defense has to be on point. These guys are killing us in transition. And, like, you know, this is like you look at the two games the Suns won in that series. It was Devin Booker just zooming up and down the floor, lighting it up on fire. But the Suns were playing extremely fast in those games. So you did, you know, you, there is a little sample of seeing this now. You didn't have Bradley Beal either with the ball in his hands or, or, or playing off the ball in those lineups, and obviously that's a 
a huge addition, but we have seen uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant play this way, and they didn't win the series, but they got a couple wins over a, a you know pretty dominant championship team, the Denver Nuggets, doing that. They got one more win than anybody else did, if I remember correctly. And uh, and look, I mean, the other thing is too, like not to be flippant, but this is what the Suns are built to do, right? They're not built to guard anybody. They they just made a trade the other day that made their defense worse too. And and you know, if you talk like I think the argument from the Suns is that if Yusuf Nurkic is operating at his capability, he's a better guy out of the short role. He's a better guy to do stuff with the ball. And like their whole thing is geared toward at this point, they got to outscore people. And like you said, man, they might have the best offense of all time if those three guys are playing at the highest level and Bradley Beal especially gets back to where he was a couple of years ago before being in purgatory the last couple of years with the Wizards. That's this if they're going to win the title, like if you're going to make the argument, the Suns are going to be the best team in the league, they're going to win the championship next June, they got to be scoring 135 points on the best teams. Like that's how they're going to win because if they're in a 95-90 slugfest in some playoff game, they're not built to really win that way. They're built to get out in open air and fly up and down and do this and have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Bradley Beal go off. And, you know, again, it's one quarter of one preseason game, but I think if you are trying to think of them at the highest level in terms of what their hopeful outcome is, that's the blueprint for it, that those three guys are just truly unstoppable to guard, and, you know, that'll allow them to outscore their opponents. So they started Josh Okoji at uh, their fifth starter today along with Beal Booker, Durant, and then Yusef Nurkic. It's interesting because last year when there was a question about who they were going to make their fifth starter, Monty Williams really sort of defaulted to Josh Okoji a lot. Okoji has, you know, some limitations, but the coaches like the way he defends. And so we'll see uh, how they adjust and, and cycle through those or if Koji, Koji can win the spot. But I'm going to say... Grayson Allen had a terrific game. Now, Grayson Allen is not an unknown quantity. Okay, we have, we have seen Grayson Allen. He's become a little bit of a journeyman at this point. He's bounced around in his career. Um, he had he played great in this game, you know, and he had he had 18 points in 20 minutes. Had three rebounds, three assists, two steals, and a block. Had a very effective game. When you talk to folks with the Suns, as Woj has written about, they knew they were going to be getting. DeAndre, they knew they were going to be getting Yusef Nurkic and Nasir Little in all probability for DeAndre Ayton. Mm -hmm. And they had to wait and see who the deal, who the, who the trade was, um, with for Damian Lillard to see how else they might get in on that trade. And, um, they certainly were preparing for possibility of, of the Bucks being that team. They were preparing for the Raptors being that team. You know, they were taking a look at what that could be, maybe some other teams. But they were very pleased that they were able to get a player like Grayson Allen as the third core part of that the that the, the, that trade that they got back. And you can, again, you can take shots at Grayson Allen. You can say what his limitations are, and I'm not going to disagree with any of it. But adding a player like this to this team, giving a guy that comes off the bench that can put up numbers like this and and be effective like this off the wing has value. Think about what Grayson Allen would mean to a team like. I mean, you don't think Grayson Allen would get a bunch of minutes if he was on the Celtics right now, I'm telling you he would. So he, I think, is going to play an interesting role here. He has lots of high-level game experience, and he got off to a terrific start. And so I I think, you know, one of the things you take away from this is how Grayson Allen might fit nicely. And he doesn't have to deliver every night. You know, they've, mm -hmm. they've still got um, Eric Gordon, who they're bringing off the bench, for example. They've, you know, Utah Watanabe played an effective game. They've got some other options, but I thought Grayson Allen – sort of backed up the initial positive vibes the Suns have about having acquired him in that Aiden deal. 
Yeah, I, I think Grayson Allen's a great fit just because when you have the the guys who can create like they have, like you want some spacing on the floor. And, you know, you mentioned both Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon, Gordon especially, have significant playoffs uh, experience. Like they, they are shooters. And, you know, whether they're uh, shooting it well or not, like teams aren't leaving them open. Right. So it, I think it opens up the floor. And, and that that is the concern with a Koji is like our team's going to guard him. Like when they came through Dallas um, late in the season, they ended up winning the game, but they they had to pull the plug on him. Um, so when I started calling him Josh O for eight Koji, because that's what <laughs> that he was. was a, that was a rough game for him. Yeah. Yeah. So he, and, you know, th- there were games where where he knocked down shots, but I just think he's he is a guy who, um, you know, teams, especially if he's on the floor with those three guys, like I think teams are going to dare him to take jumpers. Now, <laughs> it didn't stop the Suns from scoring 46 in the first quarter today, um, but that, that's the obvious concern with him in the starting lineup. The reason to start him is because you have to have somebody who's going to defend the best player on the other team. Like, you don't want to ask Devin Booker to have to do that. You definitely don't want to ask KD or Bradley Beal to have to do that. So you, you you probably need, even if you are giving up something in space, and you probably need a guy in the starting lineup who, you know, whether it's it's Steph or Kawhi or, you know, whatever, uh, is guarding the best player on the team you're facing. Well, and I think even more than the best player, though he obviously will likely guard the best player a lot of the time, they don't have anybody to guard smalls, really, right? Koji's really the only guy on the team to guard smaller guards yeah. that they have. So to me, when you look at those guys are all bigger. If you want to throw them against bigger guys, you, they'll be fine to some degree, um, even though they're not great. But they don't have anybody, like you said, to guard Steph, to guard Dame, to guard um, you know, a Tyrese Maxey like we talked about earlier. Like They don't have anybody really equipped to do that. And a coach is really the one guy in the roster that is. So I think if I was picking any of their guys, despite the offensive limitations, I do think it makes sense to start him, especially because you can pull the plug on it later and go with one of the more offensive lineups. But yeah, I mean, look, you got Grayson Allen, you got Eric Gordon, you got Yuta Watanabe. I think all three of those guys are going to play a lot off the bench and they all can shoot it well from deep. And, you know, again, that's the Suns are leaning into offense all the way. And like we've seen, you know, the Celtics obviously went and got Drew Holiday later, but Porzingis for Smart was really an offense-first move. Drew for Dame was an offense-first move by the box. You know, I think we see teams sort of react to the title every year. I think the reaction we've sort of seen across the league is teams saying, and the Suns going with Bradley Beal too, and that's the whole way they've gone. Teams have sort of leaned offense-first in a lot of the moves they've made this summer at the top echelon, and the Suns obviously think probably done it more than anybody, but that's been that's been to me the big adjustment this summer. And, you know, we'll see if it works out for Phoenix. I mean, we're in an era where every year there's a new best offense in NBA history when you, when, right. you know, statistically speaking. Right. And so, like, this is by far the best offensive era in NBA history and continues to get better and better. So, if you're not a lead on that end, it's going to be really hard to win big in today's NBA. Like, you're just mm-hmm. not, you're not winning mud wrestling matches. Well, the Nuggets were an awesome offensive team and they won it. The Warriors the year before that. Okay, so we are still very early here. We've had a few injuries uh, pop up, which we always see and it's always unfortunate. A significant one that was announced over the weekend, uh, Jarrett Allen with the Cavs has a bone bruise in his ankle that he suffered. Um, Bone bruises are tricky. Mm. They can linger. 
but there's various grades to them. And they announced he would be reevaluated in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is a reevaluated in two weeks tends to mean not yeah. back in two weeks, which would tend to mean missing some time to start the year. Yeah, and the, obviously Jared Allen's a very important player for the Cavs, former All Star. This is not what they needed to hear. They don't have a ton of depth in their front court. Uh, they have two terrific front court players in Jared yep. Allen and Evan Mobley, and then it gets a little dicey. They signed Tristan Thompson. Uh, in the off season, <laughs> I wouldn't be stunned if Tristan might get some minutes there. Um, Dean Wade, who's more of a four than a five, but I guess he can play five. So that's a that's a worrisome injury out of the gates for the Cavs. Um, they already are down Ricky Rubio, who is away from the team. It's unclear whether mm-hmm. when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back this year. He has um, stepped away from his career, to use his words, um, dealing with some um, uh, focusing on his mental health. And so that's a rotation player who they're down. And uh, now Jared Allen could be out a little while. The Cavs are just going to have to, you know, just probably deal with it. The thing about Evan Mobley, even though he does so many things well defensively, he's just not very big, not very bulky. He has added some weight since he came into the NBA, but it's not, it's not quite, he's not, he's not able at this point to play center on a night in and night out basis. I think they would be penalized for that. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that affects them early on, Von Temps. I'm going to actually play devil's advocate slightly in that while Jared Allen is obviously a super important player, as we know, as the people who listen to the pod know, he was the MVP of the league last year, as Brian uh, repeatedly indicated. I think this could be a bit of a blessing in disguise for the Cavs because, as we know, there's a lot of pressure on Cleveland this year, a lot of pressure to win, a lot of pressure to on a lot of fronts with the Cavs. And I do think One of the possible downsides of that was that I don't know if Evan Mobley was necessarily going to get the opportunity to to operate in some more space offensively and have the ball in his hands more and do some more stuff that they really need, I think, for him to take the next step as a player and for them to eventually take another step forward overall as a team. And while Jared Allen being hurt is not a good thing, obviously, and hopefully he's back in the near term, because he's a hugely important part of their team. I do think in the short term, it might not be the worst thing if they're sort of forced into Evan Mobley getting a little bit more room to operate, having a chance to have the ball in his hands a little bit more, and maybe that will allow them to well, how does experiment a, a little bit more than they're going to. If Jared, it's not like Jared Allen handles the ball. How does him not being out there mean Evan Mobley gets more the ball more? Well, if they're playing, to me, if they're playing a little bit smaller, by default, because they don't have Jared Allen out there. If they're playing, say they run some more lineups with George Yang and Max Struess out there and have Evan Mobley right. at the five against some teams. Right. Um, or if you just have a big option out, I mean, I guess Tristan's not a shooter either, but I just, I just think it might <laughs> give an opportunity. Suits with. Uh, yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> Tristan ain't doing it, but like, yeah, but like you mentioned Dean Wade, if they run more with Dean Wade and George Yang at the four and Evan at the five, I just think it, it at least gives them the possibility to experiment a little bit and try some stuff. I don't know if they will, but I can pretty much guarantee they were not going to if Jared Allen's out there. And, you know, I just think for them to really take a big step forward, Evan Mobley's got to take a big step forward on offense. If he's well, more, if he doesn't get that opportunity, I mean, you saw him in the playoffs, he looked lost with the ball and they need him to become the kind, you know, take real, uh, real strides forward on offense. And this just might give him a chance to experiment a little bit in ways that they're not to me if Jared's healthy. I, I don't I don't know if that'll happen. That's a good that's an interesting insight. I do agree he's got to have the ball in his hands a little bit more because I actually think he has the potential to be somebody who can be a playmaker and a distributor. 
I think he can be a good passer. I think what I've described is if you put him in the triple threat position, giving it to him where he can face the basket, dribble, pass, or shoot, I think that could be very rewarding. It's hard to get the ball out of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland's hands, not because they're ball hogs, but because they're so effective with it. And it can be easy to just rely on that. And frankly, that's what happened with the Cavs a lot last year. When it was in tough games, it was just give it to those two guys and you know just close your eyes and hold on. And a lot of the games, it delivered. Donovan carried them to many wins, as he did for the Jazz. But they, they, they need, and you know, J.B. Bickerstaff has promised a different-looking offense this year, and we haven't yet had a chance to see that play out. And I doubt that, you know, Allen not being in there affects them way more defensively. He's a front of the rim, an elite front of the rim defender. Um, this shouldn't slow down whatever changes they make to the offense with the spacing that they added, getting Struess and Niang. Well, and, and offensively, right now, uh, Evan Mobley is best utilized as a center. He 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 he's, he's can't shoot. He's he's not a shooter yet. If he's going to be a four long term long term four A contender, he has to be a, at least an average three point shooter, and that just hasn't happened yet. He's young. There's time. We'll see. Um, you know, I don't know how much time there is for this particular group in Cleveland because well, there's there's one there's one year. Not right. that, not that it's going to end in a year, but they got this year to prove it. Yeah, for the whole Donovan Mitchell thing. But again, we've talked about even if if they decide, hey, we're he's not committed long term, we've got to pivot and trade him. Like they'll still have a young core in place. I do wonder though whether Jared Allen and Evan Mobley is going to be a long term tandem, or and it would be Allen would be the one getting moved on it. You know, he's a twenty million dollar year player. It's a very reasonable contract. I think there would be value for him, but I would. I could see a silver lining if Allen has to miss some time. And, like, let's see what it looks like with Evan Mobley as a starting center with two elite playmakers, you know, four, uh, you know, big time three point threats around him. I'm curious about that. And I I think even with Allen back in the mix, like, there needs to be some significant amount of time that Mobley is in that position. And, like, listen, Tristan Thompson has had a heck of an NBA career, but if, if Tristan Thompson is starting at this point in his life, well, I don't think he'd start, but he might have to get minutes. Well, listen, I mean, listen, with the way JB goes, he might start. I mean, right. if, if he's starting, shock me. If he's starting, it needs to be on the NBA Today set. It cannot be for the <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, and, and to your point about Mobley over Al McMahon, forty-five for one hundred and ninety-four over the first years of his career from three, twenty-three percent. Yeah, only one and a half shots a game from three, less than one and a half shots a game from three. That's just not good enough. Like, no, it, he's got to he's got to become a real threat from three, not only to become a better player, but like you said, to make that two big lineup viable. Right, you know, because how's going to work? Allen is a very good rim roller, but like the space, it gets clunky quick. You can't just you can't put Mobley in the corner. No one's guarding him out there. Now, if Mobley's the the role man. Like you talk about his playmaking ability, like I think he can do some things out of the short roll. And again, especially if you're talking about, you know, he's running pick and roll with Garland or Mitchell, two guys who teams like they don't want to let those guys step into to, even if they're 28 footers. You know, like you can have a wide open floor uh, with the the shooters that they uh, added this offseason and, and the two big time playmakers with Mobley as the role man. So. You know, if if you get a healthy dose of, of seeing what that looks like, I'm curious. 
Well, when you go back to the playoffs against the Knicks, they tried that and it was a disaster. And so the more reps he can get with that now, the better. And that's why I go back to the beginning. But wait, they that tried I'm, that and it was a disaster and then they went out and got George Niang and Max Struess. Right. No, for sure. Right. But I just mean like the more reps he's going to get, the more reps you can get with him doing stuff like that in October, the better off you'll be in April and May. And that's why, like, to be clear, they need Jared Allen back. But if he was out there and healthy, I think they would just lock and load with what they know works and they would do it. And that, like, that's how J.B. Bickerstaff has tended to run things. And this at least might open up the chance to try some stuff and maybe find some stuff that works. We'll see if they yeah. do or not, but at least maybe that's a silver line to come out of a, you know, obviously I, not a great situation. I question whether Donovan Mitchell's in Cleveland long-term, and I question whether Jared Allen's in Cleveland long-term, and there, it's for two obviously drastically different reasons. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right, injury news came out of Memphis. Uh, Marcus Smart's missing some time here at the start of the season with an abdominal injury. In the uh, start of the preseason. Sorry, they, start of the preseason. Everything has been that he will be good to go for the start Ooh. of the season. Taylor Jenkins has downplayed the injury. So, but you know, abdominal injuries are tricky. It's not a, you know, it's not a bruise. So, and Marcus, um, Marcus is certainly a guy that can't be really playing with like, you know, tweaked muscle injuries like for him to be at his best he's got to be flying around well and even if it, this is just a situation where he's missing however many practices however many preseason games that's problematic as well because you know he is a guy who this is a massive adjustment i mean he's been a celtic his whole career he's getting down there in memphis uh when you have a guy who you're going to be relying on as much as the grizzlies are relying on him especially to be their point guard for the first 25 games of the season. I think missed reps, preseason practice, all that kind of stuff is concerning. For sure. That was a, um, you know, they just, <laughs> their depth is just is suspect at the guard position because of what else has gone on with their team. They, frankly, they got so many guys on their roster who are not available right now that are limitedly available that in, injury injury to them is more severe. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about before we go is just uh, Draymond Green. The Warriors started their first uh, exhibition game uh, on uh, Saturday night. They played the Lakers. LeBron uh, did not play. Anthony Davis played, put up some decent numbers. Um, Jonathan Kaminga put up some really decent numbers. And there was Chris Paul. Wait, Austin Reeves didn't play. You're required to. I was going to say, Brian's, yeah, Brian's new favorite guy, Austin Reeves. No love at all. It's only you're because not get those golf such shoes a, unless you pump a, him up some more. He's a, <laughs> it's, a, he's a, it's a golf connection. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys who played for Team USA are going to be taking it easy a little bit. Uh, anyway, Austin Reeves also did not play. Uh, the Lakers' second best player, right? If you listen to some people. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, LeBron wait, is declared. Wait, what? LeBron is, is, that, is that a take now? No, hold on, it goes, it goes Christian Wood, Austin Reeves, <laughs> then who? <laughs> well, LeBron has declared that AD is the fran- face of the franchise. So I've, AD, I have seen that, but I didn't, Austin know, Reeves. I didn't know people were oh, declaring wow. Austin Reeves as their second best player. Uh, is that I'm a Brian Windhorst take? No. <laughs> you, you crazy? I, 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 this is the first I've heard of this. I didn't know if this was your take. I was I didn't making know if a workshopping. He's being facetious. The only word in the English language that you know about I am uh, <laughs> very impressed with Austin's Austin's game, you know, but some I'm very impressed. Thought, Big man used the word facetious properly. That is pretty. Yeah, facetiously, right. if you want to count Y as a vowel, by the way. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris Paul, 
Chris Paul is in the starting lineup. Chris Paul's uh Oh baby. Third listeners right. of the pod are gonna be bird very happy rights. if we're talking about that. Very the happy. bird rights I've have endured and Chris Paul's a starter. Continues to <laughs> some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, Draymond out out, you know, out with the ankle injury, and that was the way Steve Kerr decided to go with starting small with Chris Paul and starting lineup alongside uh, 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 Steph Curry. Well, we never talked, I don't think, about this injury when it came up, but you know, yeah. for him immediately saying he was going to miss four to six weeks, like that is not a, an easy uh, injury to get over. And I'm, I wonder, obviously, you've got, you know, the starting lineup that ran with the, with in this game, Chris Paul, Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, and Looney. I wonder. When Draymond comes back, he's not going to have played in four to six weeks. Are they just going to run with Draymond coming off the bench for a while as the other big behind Kevon Looney? Well, I, you got you to make it Draymond's idea. <laughs> well, but you know, there might, you might there might be a way to there might be a way to do that a little bit, especially if if this looks good, right? Now. But like you mentioned, it's a four to six week recovery. And like that's sort of the initial projection of it, by the way, it's not like guaranteed to be that. And it's not like he's going to be able to be running for a lot of that time. So Draymond's going to clearly need some time to, you know, not just to get healthy, but get his conditioning right. So like, I think it's probably unrealistic to say Draymond's going to be able to come back and play his normal, uh, you know, 30 plus minutes. So you could certainly make a case that it, it would make sense to stick with this at least for a little while, which would, uh, you know, ease some of the other potential issues that you might have with asking Chris Paul to uh, begin his CP Sixth Man of the Year campaign. And I was going to say, I put a real dent in McMahon's potential uh, second career as a marketing guru and consultant. Well, I, I've yet to be able to parlay that in any cash, despite my greatest efforts. That's that is that is true. There have been plenty of efforts. I mean, the other thing that was you mentioned it too, Brian. The other thing that was, I think, very interesting about this game from a Warriors standpoint, Jonathan Kaminga going for 24, 8, and 4 off the bench. Obviously, a preseason game. I just saw Peyton Pritchard put up, I think, 29 or 30 in a preseason game. So it is a preseason game, but Kaminga is certainly an intriguing player, and he's shown flashes at different times of things. And if he is able to take Obviously, some step forward, probably not going to be averaging 24, 8, and 4. But if he becomes a consistent rotation player off the bench for them with the athleticism he's got, would give them a really interesting, different look to what they normally have. Yeah, I mean, that would be quite a different look. <laughs> quite a different look. And, you know, Kaminga has sort of been a player of potential for literally years now. I think the eight rebounds is what got some people excited. He's not going to score. Yes. 24 points on a, yes. too many occasions, but his rebounding is an area where he could make an impact and doesn't with his athleticism. So I think the reaction to him uh, showing some gusto uh, going for those, those boards, um, you know, that was one of the things that they got with Andrew Wiggins. When Andrew Wiggins came to golden state, it was like, I remember this interview he gave. was like, I kind of figured out I could rebound and I'm sure <laughs> wow. everybody had, Minnesota and slapped their him, forehead. And then like, you watch yeah. him in the NBA Finals, and he's getting like 18 rebounds in NBA Finals games and winning games with rebounds. It was amazing. Right. Like people in Minnesota were like, you think we never told him to rebound? <laughs> <laughs> we never mentioned it to him? Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's something with Oh, and this with defense there. thing that he suddenly does really well, too. Like, wow, that's nice. And, and yeah. you know, with Kaminga, 
like you said, the 24 points, let's not get too carried away with that. And, you know, I'm sure there's people within the Warriors who hope that Kaminga doesn't get too carried away with that. Like you don't I would need say it. you can remove hope from that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need him stepping on the floor thinking, okay, you know, get me the rock, let me cook. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Th- that, it, that's been vacated by Jordan Poole's departure. They need some. Yes. Oh, you need a cooker. <laughs> they need a cooker on the team. Or Quinn Cook, I think he's playing in China. But, dude, I mean, you said it's been years now. How old's Kaminga? Can he even buy a beer yet? He's in his third season. You don't know, know how old he is. He's still, I mean, 21 or 22, probably. Well, I'm not saying up. they're giving up on him. I'm just saying they've asked him to rebound for years. I think that's oh, a fair okay. statement. Well, I, I'm just saying there's a lot of. He's going to turn 20. He actually just turned 21 on Friday. Oh, there you go. McMahon, go down there and give, you should have been there to buy him his first beer to instruct Listen, him how got, to do it. They, they've got that brewery right next to the uh, right next to the arena there. Matter of fact, they've got, oh gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting what it's called. It, I, it, it should be, Light Year would be a good beer name, but no. <laughs> Light, uh, years. Light Years. Light Years IPA. <laughs> There's some, it's some gold something or another. They've got in the... Uh, They've got in the press room, not that I would ever imbibe in, in such a facility. Um, but, you know, I'm sure he cracked open a, a, a few of those. My, my point is this, like, there's plenty of time for Jonathan Kaminga to get it right. And if he's, if the, if the light goes on in his third year, then okay, they, you know, because they need Well, him. so he had a great game the day after his 21st birthday. Well, hey, maybe he didn't imbibe then. Maybe. Um, what, or what, what, maybe he did. The, what state of, of mind were you in the day after your 21st birthday, McMahon? You don't even want to know about that one, brother. You, you didn't know. know what state he was in after <laughs> his 21st birthday. <laughs> I wasn't in a jail cell, so that was a good thing. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Unlike other mornings. Yeah, I uh, I believe, well, anyways, we'll just, let's just move on from that one. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move on from that. I mean, the other thing that was interesting in this game, too, was, I mean, there's been a lot of chatter about the Lakers starting lineup. Now, obviously, Austin Reeves and LeBron did not play, but Austin Reeves, a top two golfer on the Lakers. Oh, to Jackson. This guy wants wow. to cover. He wants to cover the PGA Tour so bad. So bad. So bad. He certainly does. But I think it's been interesting that the Lakers have basically abandoned the Anthony Davis is going to start a power forward thing. Whatever lineup they're going to start, he's going to be at center, which I find interesting. And seems like there's a decent chance they're going to start Jared Vanderbilt at the other spot. It seems like either him or Rui, which yeah. is an interesting choice too. Well, that's the way they should go. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the you know, but you know Anthony Davis after they signed uh, Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood was you know maybe had eyes for another way. I, I would want to stick with Rui and just see like if his playoff run was the start of something there. That that would be my thought. Um, but we'll see. I, I mean, to me, Anthony Davis is a center. If he's not playing center, then it's just to save some wear and tear during the regular season because come playoff time, he needs to play center, period. Well, and, but it, it just seems like, I mean, even, even in this game where, you know, I mean, they rolled out there with him at center with four wing players. So, yeah. I mean, it seems like that's what they're going to do, which, yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's the best way for them to play. It just did not sound like that was the way they're going to do it. I think the thing with Vanderbilt is if you look at the way the Lakers are going to line up, if you got Russell Reeves, LeBron, and AD, it's sort of like the Suns. You need somebody out there to guard somebody on the other team, and Vanderbilt is probably their best guy 
to do that. I under I get where you're coming from with Rui, but I think if you have him coming off the bench, it may be a little easier to have him come in and just kind of try to yeah. fill it up, which is more what his skill set is anyway. Yeah, I th- Vanderbilt definitely is an active defender, and he has his moments where he's a really good defender. I would say there's mixed reviews as far as any references to him as a defensive stopper. And then you have, to me, it's, it's like the Koji thing with the Suns, a little different positionally, but you've, you're going to have spacing issues because Vanderbilt, really offensively, he's he's a small five. You know, he's a, he's a non-shooter. Yeah, but his energy can make a difference in certain cases. He can he can get you extra possessions offensively. That's for sure. He's a tremendous offensive rebounder. Be very interesting to see how often they're closing games with Gabe Vincent over D'Angelo Russell too. I suspect that will probably happen fairly regularly. Uh, all right, Bon Temps has been on the road all week long. Got to get oh. him home. Uh, I'm uh, headed off to Oklahoma City tomorrow. Where I think will Victor play? play? I think Victor's going to play. All now right. we're waiting to see if Chet. Holmgren will make his debut. So, are you going to? By the uh, way, are you going to share hair care tips with Josh Giddy? Josh Giddy's hair needs no tip. Um, I was thinking you might get. Some. <laughs> I know you're big into the, you know, the woofity boofity. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a there's a term for it. By the way, uh, speaking of uh, first games, uh, Kate Cunningham played his first game in uh, what probably 11 months. Yeah, something Five, like that. Five of fifteen, not uh, not banner game, but uh, excited. I'm sure Pistons fans were to see him back. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that'll be happening. All right, thanks for listening to the Collective Podcast. Thank you to Jackson. Thank you to McMahon and Bontemps. We will uh, talk to you in a few days. NBA games are happening now every day for the foreseeable future. Here we go. Adios, amigos.